Good afternoon. My name is Kathy Connor, and you're listening to Kathy's Corner on WPKN 89.5 FM, streaming online at WPKN.org, and also podcast on SoundCloud, WPKN Community Radio. So there are many opportunities for you to enjoy the wonderful programs of the station. <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> so we just heard Cherish by Cool and the Gang. So did that bring back some memories for some of you? <laughs> I haven't heard that song in a long time. And I, I wanted to play it because of the word Cherish. But also the lyrics are very sweet in that song. Um, when I was thinking of the show I wanted to do today, I just kept thinking of that word, cherish. 2020 was a little tough for many of us, and it also helped us to cherish what we do have. So cherish each other in the time we have. Cherish the love. Cherish the life, as Cool in the Gang uh, suggests we do. <laughs> so my show is part of a series that airs on this station, and it's experts who share their knowledge with you all. And my show now airs the fifth Wednesday of the month. Uh, about a year ago, I decided once a month was a little more than I could handle, because I am busy, like a lot of us are. But I, um, I didn't want to leave this wonderful WPKN family and Steve, who you just heard from, great general manager. He suggested, well, why don't you do the fifth Wednesday? So that comes up every few months. So what is my expertise? What am I going to talk to you about? If you've heard the show before, you're, you're aware. <laughs> aware. It's awareness, consciousness. That's my expertise. Consciousness is intelligence. It's awareness. Waking, dreaming, sleeping. These are states of consciousness. Physiologically, they differ from each other. Uh, subjectively, as well as objectively. So that means you know the difference between being awake and being asleep. <laughs> uh, we experience different subjective experiences, and they can be measured. That's the objective part. So there are different brainwave patterns. Blood chemistry is different. Respiration is different, particularly if you sleep with a snorer. <laughs> the respiration is different. So throughout the 24-hour cycle, we experience different states of consciousness, as one state changes into the next. But what I talk about is what is fundamental to those changing states of consciousness. And it is always my pleasure to come here and share with you over 45 years of learning and experience in this field of consciousness and the knowledge how to unfold more of its value from deep within the mind. It's useful. It's not just sitting there something that can be used. <clears throat> what, I, what I do when I'm not here, <laughs> I am the director of the Transcendental Meditation Program in Fairfield County, Connecticut. TM is a specific form of meditation. Meditation has become quite popular these days. TM is a specific form that regularly and systematically provides the experience of the inner value of life, the direct contact with the finer fields of the mind. And this is so that we can unfold the higher qualities of a higher state of consciousness. It's like clearing the fog from the mirror or moving the clouds from the sun. <clears throat> I mention that every time I open up a show. So if you have heard the show before, you know that I often talk in terms of twos. Um, <clears throat> if you, uh, I, I emphasize that life has two modes to it, rest and activity. And there are two values, inner and outer. That's just generally speaking. But the outer active world, we know that really well, especially these days when all we have to do is Google a subject and we find so much information, it's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> There's also an expert for everything you can think of, which comes in handy. It's the inner that we don't know as well. It's the inner in consciousness, in our own awareness, at deepest values, that we can find deepest peace. That's why it's called inner peace. <laughs> There's a reason. <clears throat> because we have one more day of 2020, let's take a minute to reflect on this past year before we move on. 
And then I thought to myself, do we really want to do that? <laughs> Everybody's doing that on all the shows. Hasn't that been done enough? There's a wise saying, the past is a lesser state of evolution. But I want to indulge just for a moment because I'm remembering the start of 2020 with great optimism because of the numbers. 2020, everybody was talking about, oh, 2020, that's ideal vision. So this would be a year of clarity, of great progress. So was it? Well, looking to the past 12 months, do we think we've made progress? Well, I certainly hope we did, even though it was a little messy. Uh, it is my hope that despite the pandemic and the losses it generated for so many on many levels, that we do have more clarity now. For example, we became aware, more aware anyway, because it was already there, but we became more aware that our healthcare system is strained and needs a lot of help. And not just physical help, we need to look at how we can prevent illnesses as well as, as take care of them. We have to do both. I saw something today and I thought, okay, this is good news. Actually, I saw something yesterday too. We're beginning to realize that our foods make a difference. So yesterday there was a piece on one of the morning shows about urban farms that are growing up, uh, coming up all around. They've been there, but they're more important now. People should have healthy foods available to them. And today there was something that came out, I don't know who brought it out, FDA, not sure, but about um, foods and that we should uh, not give sugar to children until they're two years old. So those lollipops, you know, maybe wait a while. And why is that? Well, there were doctors who wanted to put in that we should reduce sugar for adults, too, because of the growth of uh, obesity and diabetes, but somehow it didn't get in. But I think we know that now. Um, so our healthcare system needs help. We also saw that racism is alive and well in this country still. We saw disparity of the haves and have-nots with this pandemic. So we've seen a sharp divide politically this year. These things were there, but it was as if 2020 stirred up the dust that had neatly settled in our lives, and we were just, okay, we were just dealing with it day to day. It was no big deal. We weren't thinking much about it. But yeah, now it's in our face, and it's in our face because it needs healing. It needs to change. So <clears throat> in my opinion, 2020 exposed the damage of all that dust that had just been sitting there. So what do we do now, now that we can see what happened? Oh, these things exposed so they can't be ignored. Did we learn from these events? Do we have more clarity? Are we fixing those holes that 2020 had no mercy to expose? I came across an article when I was thinking about today's show, and it's by um, Arun Dati Roy. And although she wrote it in April of this year, it applies now still. And she is an Indian author, actress, and political activist who is best known for the award-winning novel, The God of Small Things, <clears throat> and also for her involvement in environmental and human rights causes. So she's well-known, particularly in her home country. But she wrote this long essay about the pandemic and how it was affecting those globe and society and it was pretty interesting but it was the very last paragraph that was that kind of to me hit all the points and I wanted to share with you she says this is a quote from her article Arun Dati Roy whatever it is coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could our minds are still racing back and forth longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists, and in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal 
a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our databanks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us, or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. So to me, <clears throat> that, that is the theme of my show today. We've seen the issues. We know what they are. But let's do something. Let's go through that portal, not bringing the past and doing the same old, same old. Let's really make some changes. So let's talk about a solution and how we can walk through this portal into a new time and not go back to normal, whatever normal was. Normal wasn't normal, actually. <laughs> so, uh, But we, we want a higher level of life on this planet. And I want to start with the most fundamental element of life, and that is consciousness, by the way. <laughs> so how, how convenient for me. <laughs> if you don't have consciousness... Well, you're not alive on this planet, though. So if you are alive on this planet, you have consciousness. Everyone has consciousness. It's a matter of how refined is it? How clear is it? Fixing the foundation nourishes every level. You know, we could patch up the cracks in the wall. If the, we see, oh, there's some cracks here and there in the living room, and oh, a crack is coming up in the kitchen. You can keep patching and patching and patching. Because they'll keep cracking. Because the source of the problem is the foundation. So unless you go there and figure that out and fix that, those cracks will still happen. So these cracks that we saw, even though they've been there, we just, they were more exaggerated, I thought, in this past year. Let's fix the foundation. So consciousness, let's talk about that for a minute. Consciousness is one of those words that we hear. It's in the lexicon of the language. But do we really understand what it is? Consciousness is fundamental to life. It's where we start and where we finish. It's the prime mover of life. Everything we do, every thought, every word, every action, is an impulse of your awareness. It's an impulse of consciousness. All life emerges from and is sustained in consciousness. The whole universe is an expression of consciousness. Consciousness is pure intelligence, pure knowledge. Free from stress and boundaries is what that means, pure knowledge, pure intelligence. It is singularity and unity at the same time. It is diversity and it's... Um, <laughs> And it's singularity. Consciousness moves. It's an ocean in motion. There's the ocean, there's the waves on the ocean. So there are these two things. It's not just the ocean stillness, it's the ocean moving as well. The ocean is there while the waves are coming and going. Consciousness is there in its silent established depth while life moves up and down. Since consciousness is basic to life, I think it's a good idea to know a little more about it, <laughs> how to harness more of its vast potential in our own awareness. If we don't tend to the root, the tree shows signs of neglect. I hope, hope you like all my little analogies that we throw in there, but it helps something that's abstract, something you can't put in a box and put a bow on it. It helps us to understand it more when we can make it more tangible. So that's why we use a lot of analogies. If we don't encourage growth from within, then there could be problems on the surface. The gardener will f attend to the root if something's wrong with the plant. So truly understanding consciousness consists of knowing it on two levels. The inner, silent, unmanifest value that is the basis of life, which is that part of consciousness most people have no clue about because it's been hidden. It hasn't been encouraged to unfold although it's there. And consciousness as it is displayed all around us in the manifest field of life. And that's, as I said before, that's the part we all know. So this goes back to the theme of the show. Life moves in two modes. There's rest and activity. There's stop and flow. Or we can even say there's the silent unmanifest and there's the active dynamic manifest. In the unmanifest, in the non-changing value of consciousness, is the most concentrated piece. 
the most settled state. We can even call it bliss. This is the wakeful stillness within. That's the deep inner peace. In the transitory, the changing outer world or manifest, we search for lasting happiness, but permanent is not its nature. Change is its nature. So we might hope that our last happiness will endure for all time. Can Christmas be every day? <laughs> no, that would be exhausting us. <laughs> so I had the best chocolate the other day, but it didn't last long. <laughs> Not in my hands. It didn't last long. Because this is the way things are. What we know and what we are used to experiencing so we might not even believe there's a source of permanent happiness if we've never experienced it. Uh, we haven't been taught, as I said, to contact it because it is unseen doesn't mean it isn't there. Science is well aware that matter is not the totality of existence. And if you live on a planet at this time of life, quantum theory, time of life, this is not new information. <laughs> That means there is something else that can be identified that is of a non-material nature. What we are made of has two values. The objective matter, that's the body, something tangible. But we also have the less tangible, the mind, the intellect, the ego, the soul. These are the subjective non-material values of ourself. But what is that element that is contained in both the material and the non-material? what underlies and supports all this growth and what connects the two. It's the same thing. It's consciousness, but of a different value of it. Just like water can be seen in different values. You can have ice, you can have vapor, you can have water <laughs> and just the liquid form. There's many forms of the same combination of H2O. In the same way, consciousness has different permutations, but there is a settled state. There is a state that combines all of these. <clears throat> the non-change is also a reality. Change is on the basis of non-change. Here's one of my favorite analogies. <laughs> you can't watch the movie without the screen. <laughs> okay, think about that. You go to the movies and you walk in and there's always something on the screen there. There's previews of coming attractions or you're late for the movie and it's already engaged. But when all the lights go out and the movie's over and they're closing up, there's this blank screen that you weren't even thinking about. But without that screen, you can't see the movie. <laughs> Where's the movie? <laughs> the nature of this state of life, the non-changing, non-material, is peaceful and happy and stable and balanced and fulfilling. But if this is the reality of the non-changing field, and the non-changing field is the basis of all that exists, why don't we know it? Not just as an individual, but as a society. And logically, it's because we lost contact with that field of life. Not all of us did. You know, just read about, just read something from someone you admire, and you'll hear words that they'll explain that, oh, I have this feeling of deep stability within, or, you know, people have these experiences. This is not new. Logically, it's because we lost contact. That's important. If something is wrong on the outside, something's missing. What's missing is the experience of this field, and in addition, making this experience out of reach um, because we don't learn about it. And we have a machinery of experience. That's your physiology that can experience. But if it's out of whack, which means stressed and unhealthy, then it's not going to experience its more refined values. You know, just like a car. Here's another analogy. <laughs> the car's all clogged up. You haven't changed the oil for a year or two or longer, and it kind of chugs a little bit, maybe a lot. So you take care of it, and it runs smoothly. Same thing with your machinery of experience. So there's also a very long habit of the mind to experience only the tangible. So we come to believe that that's all there is. It doesn't mean subtler levels of perception don't exist, but maybe they don't exist for me if I have a limited ability to see the whole. Or you do have these experiences, but we kind of have them hit or miss. Many people do. Some people have them more than others, and that would be more of an intuitive level of perception. When someone is intuitive or they have an intuitive experience, it's just perceiving something on a quieter level. 
and that's a thought, by the way. <laughs> Not only are the senses limited when experiencing the more tangible levels of life, but we are also busy. Busy. <laughs> I think that's why they say busy bees, because it sounds the same. But there's so much stimulation. And when we're so active, we can't perceive the quiet. The subtler levels of nature are hidden because the habit of perception remains on the more material level through long-established gross outer usage. Our lives are spent on the surface values of perception, even in this age of quantum physics, when we know there is more than what we see. We understand that, but to experience it is a different order of business. The subtle eludes us. The hidden treasure was there all the time, but we didn't see it, much less use it. The material life exists in layers, levels, from the most gross to the most subtle. If we only perceive the gross, we miss out on the beauty of the subtle, and that includes not only our perceptions, but our feelings. We can feel very deeply love, compassion, empathy. If we only experience the gross level of life, our experience is always turned outward, and we miss the inward. Turning the mind inward to experience the subtle and then coming out brings the qualities of the inner value of life into the outer. You become familiar. Your physiology becomes familiar. And what are those qualities? Well, deep contentment and peace lived in a world of change and challenge. It doesn't mean the outer world changes. It means your ability to handle the outer world changes. And here's another analogy for you. <laughs> I call it a rubber wall as opposed to a brick wall. Well, if there's a lot of stress in your physiology, stress coming at you <clears throat> excuse me, is like hitting a brick wall. Let's say it's a glass. That stress will be in the form of a glass hitting a brick wall. Well, it can shatter and create lots of problems. But if it's the same stress coming at a rubber wall, the glass, it hits that rubber wall, it doesn't shatter. So your physiology can adapt to handling things better because it has more consciousness, which also means it has less stress in it. So uh, if we're not experiencing those quiet states and confined to the surface, then life can also be harsh, it can be narrow, it can be hopeless. If we're not connected with the more refined values within our own self, life can be harder. doesn't mean stress doesn't happen, as I said, but it can be harder if you have a brick wall. If you have a rubber wall, same thing happening, but it's not as damaging. Everybody wants to have a healthy, happy, peaceful life, don't we? I, th I think we do. <laughs> there is inner peace and there is outer peace and they are intimately connected because the outer is a reflection of the inner. If we want safe and healthy communities, we have to generate an influence of harmony. And that means the people have to generate an atmosphere of harmony and peace to create harmony and peace. A happy, secure, peaceful person does not do harm to others, not intentionally for sure. And how do we avoid well, not just violent acts in society that are noticeable, but violent acts that are not so noticeable, like the degradation of others by creating a system where there's health for some but not for everybody, where there's lack of education to produce not just job orientation but life orientation and so many more things that we're doing. How do we uplift and cross over this portal possibility to a new and better level of life for everybody. Because if only a few benefit, then it's not holistic. It's not kind. <clears throat> we tend to look for peace not in the inner values of life. This is the point of the show. But in the material and transitory. And again, that doesn't last. It can be there and it can be enjoyable. I love chocolate. <laughs> but I can't eat it all day. <laughs> Even with the wonderful things that happen to us in life, the outer is a field of change. And in order to navigate the change, we would like to be stable, settled, and secure from within, because that's where it is. <laughs> and so how do we do that? Peace is permanent on the basis of unshakable satisfaction, which is happiness. And that can be located at the depth of the mind where consciousness is in its purest state. 
where maximum order is experienced, there is maximum happiness. And this is experience is actually described by a great sage. He says, where the heart rests in eternal contentment and the mind is filled with the unity of life, where there is no trace of difference and therefore peace is abiding. So we're not just talking about your average good day here, but we're talking about abiding peace that is there in the traffic jam when you're late for an appointment. <laughs> I mean, anybody could feel peaceful when they're sitting on the top of the mountain and, and you just call it uh, Uber Eats <laughs> and they're coming with your lunch. So that's, that's a good day. But how come we don't have that same thing when we're sitting in the traffic jam <laughs> or the kids are screaming? The experience of this state is not an idea and it's not a fantasy. It's not just a really, really good moment or a good day, but it begins to be maintained in the outer life over time when it can be accessed consistently. And when it becomes more evident, more full, I like to describe it as deep peace on the one hand and everything else on the other. And they're both there. A deeply contented person is connected to this inner peaceful state and would not do harm to anyone. That means their thinking, not just their actions. That's more evolutionary. They have a bigger, more holistic view. Thinking. Thinking is the basis of action. People say this to me a lot. And quite frankly, not as much as they used to. So I think we're making progress here. People say, Kathy, in order to meditate, I can't clear my mind. Uh, I didn't ask you to do that. Not with TM. I did not ask you to do that. Um, you don't want to do that. It's the thinking mind that allows us to evolve. There's the stress-based thinking mind. That's a different story. But once stress is less, then you don't have that overwhelming anxiety and worry. And again, it's not a fantasy. It's a physiological state. So if a person doesn't do harm, well, a person that does do harm, let's look at that. They're not contented. They're not peaceful, happy. They're angry, frustrated, hopeless, hateful, maybe. But we don't want that. We want the opposite of that. When that connection to the deep peace within our own self, our own consciousness isn't cultured, if it doesn't exist as clearly as it can, then there can be hopelessness. So what's been missing in our toolbox of life skills is a means to harmonize the qualities of the inner with the outer. The outer is there. We're, in, we're dealing with the outer. We have kids to get to school or at least to get to their computers so they could do their virtual school. We've had to make a lot of adjustments this year. And um, we don't just want information-based education anymore. I think there's a lot of educators who are crying out for these, their kids come to them with stress. It's hard to teach when that's the case. They realize there's something else that needs to take place. There's no guarantee if we have what we call an information-based education, which is what we have, which is good. It's, I'm not disparaging it, but it shouldn't be the only thing we offer to our students because it doesn't produce happiness. Inf information is enjoyable, but having a head full of information doesn't guarantee a successful, happy life either. So we do need to start here, I think, with our young people and build that into next generations. We need a process that they can connect to that quieter level of the mind and integrate more harmonious, creative, intelligent levels of their mind. And this is true for anybody into daily life. That has been missing. And today, there are a lot of schools that are implementing things like um, meditation in their classrooms, which is an extremely good sign. I, I see that as a very good sign. But different things do different things. If we're just being mindful, it, has, it is very helpful. At the same time, it doesn't give the experience of that depth of consciousness, however. It doesn't enliven the depth of consciousness. It trains, which is good, but we want something more. So we may be worrying about our children with virtual learning, but we do need to be more concerned that their brains are developing well so that they are flexible, broad, and empathetic in their thinking. And um, I've been reading articles lately. This is something I've been doing, <laughs> reading articles. And um, I've seen it a couple times. One article was 
what very successful people, when they do an interview for hiring employees, what they look for. They look for flexible thinking. They, they propose a situation and say, how would you handle this? And then they, they want to know if that person can change, if they can adapt. If they can't, they're less likely to get the job. And then the other article I saw was uh, on relationships and something that underlies a good relationship, whatever the relationship is, but something that underlies a good relationship is the importance of flexibility. And that's the ability to adapt, the ability to handle a situation and move on from it. And this, this, you know, if you're sitting there remunerating on something and something somebody did 30 years ago, that isn't helpful for anybody. You can address it and move on. But if you can't, there's something in the nervous system that's preventing that. So we want to begin to train our young people, our students, how the brain can function in a more holistic way and not keep getting it more and more narrow. So it's interesting that um, these points are coming up in society, and we've long been talking about the brain on this show. The brain has what's called neuroplasticity. What that means is it's not a rock that sits at the top of your head. (laughs) You just stuff it with information. It's something that can change and adapt. It's doing it all the time. So change, and, and but to do it well and to do it efficiently and effectively means it's working well. We don't want to encourage narrow tunnel vision, uh, the kind that's my way or the highway. If you don't see things my way, something's wrong with you. <laughs> or we could say, no, let's have the ability to have that broad perspective. So we all know that, especially this year, 2020, there's been a lot of stress, tension, um, stress can even before 2020, it's at epidemic levels, and that puts a strain on the brain. And here are some ways that stress affects the brain, especially with children when the brain is developing, but it affects all of us adults too. It can create rigid thinking, impulsive, reactive behavior, short-sighted decision making, poor working memory, distracted attention. It can create drug and alcohol abuse, unethical thinking and behavior, fatigue, high blood pressure, sleep disorders, weak immune systems. Okay, we're all talking about let's strengthen our immune system. Well, we got to deal with the stress that causes it to weaken. Low self-esteem, self-confidence, low self-esteem and low self-confidence, worries, anxieties, fears, shallow, divisive emotions, unstable relationships, and depression. Okay, there's a list of things we don't really want. But everything we do affects the brain. So does transcending. It's the settling of the mind. It affects the mind by creating harmony, order, and peace as seen in the brain. And as I just mentioned, I have already talked a lot about the brain physiology in past shows. I'm going to mention a few things, but not a lot. But when the brain becomes settled, orderliness is seen in the brain wave activity. There's integration of brain functioning. There's an increased coherence, an increased blood flow and alpha waves, a strengthening of the neural connections. There are numerous things. During the TM practice particularly, the brain shows alpha-1 brainwave patterns, and alpha indicates relaxed, happy, focused awareness. During the TM technique, there's evidence of increased brain coherence. Examination of EEG data shows that during the practice, EEG signals from different parts of the brain's surface, known as the cortex, become more correlated or similar over time. This correlation between EEG signals can be precisely calculated. It's called EEG coherence. This is all good news. There's a part of the brain called the default mode network, and I don't know enough about it to really discuss it just yet. Maybe in a future show we can have an expert, but it's shown to improve and and enhance during TM, and it has a lot to do with creativity. So higher coherence, as measured in a number of scientific studies, is associated with more integrated and effective thinking and behavior, including greater intelligence, creativity, learning ability, emotional stability, ethical moral reasoning, self-confidence, reduced anxiety, I think that's the list we are aiming for, right? (laughs) Everything good about the brain depends on its orderly functioning. And it's not something you can attempt to achieve. I mean, there are things you can do, of course, but this alpha state particularly is more naturally 
a response. You can generate it. There are ways to do that. But for it to be stable and consistent, you have to unfold it. That's how nature works, by the way. Like playing an instrument. If you want to be a musician, you don't pick it up one time and say, hey, I'm heading to Carnegie Hall. (laughs) Well, yeah, hopefully as an audience member. (laughs) The mind becomes orderly. It functions best on the platform of order. And peace isn't lost when life becomes challenging if the brain is functioning orderly. The storm comes, the anchor holds the boat. That's as simple as it gets. It's another analogy for everybody to enjoy. (laughs) So how are we creating this effect? Well, as I've said numerous times, you have to contact it. It's the regular exposure to the orderly state. of It's called transcendental consciousness. And the mind becomes familiar and saturated with that orderliness. And it's over time. It's not overnight. And again, it's like practicing the flute or an instrument. You don't get better at TM, for example, but it's the consistency of the familiarity of this experience so that the mind-body can adapt to the experience. This is easily added to our education system, and by the way, already happening in many schools around the world. In the United States, there's a program called Quiet Time in the Classroom, and particularly the meditation that they do is TM, because of the research behind it and the fact that it uh, changes the brain. And it's incredibly successful. You can look at a website called the davidlynchfoundation.org. It's a nonprofit educational organization. It brings TM not just to classrooms, but to other groups that have stress. And it has some really amazing research. We're not going into that now because uh, that would take a while, but we can get a an expert on about that too it's very interesting but the whole point of today's discussion is that we want to enliven that peaceful state so that we can handle what comes at us so that we can have some clarity to move through this portal to find lasting peace in the temporary experiences of life doesn't seem so possible because of the ups and downs of life which are natural they happen So it would be a little difficult to find someone who didn't have some challenges this past year, 2020. But as we deepen that peaceful state, the ups and downs are less overwhelming. And we're not going to capsize if we have an anchor and a life jacket. (laughs) Get one of those, too. The inner life is experienced just like the outer is. We have our perceptions, our view of the world, for example, that comes from your own self But the outer has been so dominating that it it gets dwarfed. We all have consciousness, but finer values of consciousness, characterized by increased order and harmony, they exist, but at the depth of the mind. Anything that's active has contained within it the ability to be less active. I can run, I can stand still, I can drive, I can park. You can spin a top, watch it slow down, and eventually stop. Those are a bunch of analogies that explain that the mind can too. The active mind, very active mind even, it has the ability to be still and deeply peaceful. But you can't contrive that or try to have it. There are verbs there. This has been the problem with understanding meditation all along. It's become a goal rather than a path. And to be peaceful and to have a quiet, awake mind is to actually go beyond the boundaries of that very active outer world. And realistically, this doesn't happen overnight. As I said earlier, it's a process of integrating that state of inner with the outer. And that's the value of transcending. It's not some magical place. It's the activity of the mind settling down. In fact, that's what yoga is. Many of you practice it or have heard of it. <clears throat> the settling of the mind is what yoga is. And the body is helpful towards that. Um, that's what the asanas are for. So that's another discussion we'll have later on. <laughs> but in order to have it, you have to locate it. It's been covered. It's there. So let's uncover it. The thought of peace is a good thought. And it has some great intentions. But It is a thought and not a state. So to have it, a thought of peace is not enough. We have to go in and come out and enjoy the growing coherence. So it's something that's available to all of us. Um, I'm going to just kind of wrap up in a minute here, but 
I really always enjoy the time that I have to explain some of these deeper principles to you. And now some of you may have changed the channel, so you're not hearing what I'm saying, but <laughs> I hope you hung in there with me <laughs> because I think it's, an, it's a valuable point to have. And to, today, one of the last days of this long and arduous year, we can do some reflecting. We don't have to make resolutions. We can do some reflecting. And we can say, how can I create a better environment, not just for myself, but for my society, for my community? And it's fine if we go on these marches. It, it shows that we want to do something. But let's enliven that field of peacefulness where when it is more lively, not just for the individual, but here's the good news. In this age of quantum physics, we understand that if you push a button one part of the room, something happens in the other part of the room. If you're creating order and coherence in your own life, you are generating it for your community. And that is also something I have talked about on this show in the past. And I think today it's an important thing. If you do a practice where you're enlivening this state of orderliness, and my expertise is consciousness, my particular expertise to enliven consciousness is this technique of transcendental meditation. But to enliven order and goodness, it creates an effect on the wholeness. <clears throat> and here's a quote as we're starting to wrap up from a brilliant physicist. He says there's a new theoretical understanding that concludes the only practical way to handle large-scale problems, like creating a peaceful environment, is to approach them holistically by creating coherence in the collective consciousness. Collective consciousness is the collective influence of the consciousness of the individuals. That's us. We are the ones that comprise the family, the neighborhood, the city, the school, the society. Stressed individuals create an atmosphere of stress in the collective consciousness, and that affects the field. So our stress and lack of potential isn't just harming us. It's affecting the field. And in physics, a field is a physical quantity that has a value for each point in space and time. An example is an electric field that can be thought of as a condition in space, emanating from an electric charge and extending throughout the whole of space. From the viewpoint of quantum field theory, a field occupies space and contains energy. <laughs> so we just had a little physics lesson there, but I think we understand our connection. And this was a year where we couldn't connect as much on the physical level. This is another thing I was thinking about when I thought about the topic for the show. We had to go to Zoom, and people were disappointed. I can't be with my family. I can't be with my friends. But we are connecting, and we can connect on quiet levels. You still love your friends. They still feel that. And, you know, it'll be nice to hug them. But, you know, just a short little personal story. My mom's in a nursing home. It's not a not always a safe place to be during this coronavirus thing. And, um, you know, there were times when we could see her. Most of the time we couldn't. But fortunately, she lives on a ground floor, and we go and we visit her uh, through the window. I can't touch her. I can't comb her hair. I can't do anything. But she knows I'm there. She can see me. I can talk to her. Actually, we talk on the phone through the window because she can't hear very well. But the point being, we've adapted. We've all adapted. But that love didn't change. That's still there. So I think as we're wrapping up, I just want to share with you um, what I cherish. I cherish having this opportunity to talk to you. I cherish my family and friends and the people who support what I do. I, I cherish the love. I cherish the life, as our good friends Cool and the Gang have suggested. <laughs> but this is a time to do that, to be, um, to influence in a good way. We're not going down the sad road of 2020, even though there were a lot of sad things that happened for sure. But as our as our good friend Arundhati Roy said at the beginning, when I read her quote, Let, "Let's walk through that portal without all that baggage." Let's see what we can do to change the world in a better, so we can all be in a better state. We can look at our health systems. We can look at even some simple basic things like the foods that we're eating and making sure everyone has healthy foods. I saw that 
article today is a really inspiring thing with the um, urban farms. So as I'm um, winding up here, the whole idea of peace and the way to establish it has been lost but and has been easy to dismiss, but it's not necessary anymore. Our eyes are open. We did gain some clarity from 2020. And what we want to do is cherish the love and the life that we have and create harmony for everyone. Better health, better health care, better relations, all require a kind and flexible life. So I wish you all deep peace, a peaceful, coherent contribution to the collective consciousness for the new year, 2021. And then with an increase in order and coherence in our own lives, we're contributing to moving through this portal with more understanding how we can make the necessary adjustments so that we can all live a happier, healthier life and live on a happier, healthier planet. So thank you very much. Hi, this is Steve DiCostanzo, the GM of community nonprofit WPKN Radio. You've heard by now that WPKN is on the move to downtown Bridgeport, and several friends of WPKN have put together an online-only match challenge of $10,000 to help find another $10,000 before midnight on New Year's Eve. If you've not returned your appeal letter or simply want to help us build our new studios and move to Bijou Square, now is a doubly good time to go to WPKN.org donate and help. And because of the CARES Act passed in 2020, you and every American can donate up to $300 to a nonprofit of your choice and deduct it from your taxable income, whether you itemize or not. Why? Well, to encourage support of nonprofits during this pandemic. It's online only at WPKN.org donate. And we'll keep you posted how it's going all the way until New Year's Eve. I'm a longtime listener of WPKN. I wanted to let you know that donating a vehicle is a really simple process. All you have to do is go to WPKN.org. You fill in a small bit of information, then submit it. For me, it took about five minutes to get a call back, then one follow-up call to set everything up. They were out the next day with a tow truck and took care of it all from there. If you're considering donating a car to help PKN, go for it. By donating, you avoid all the hassles of selling the vehicle yourself. Forget about the low offers, mechanical repairs, and liability issues, and not posting your phone number is also a big plus. My payment comes in the form of a tax deduction, but more than that, I get the great feeling of helping out my favorite radio station. WPKN needs our support, so it can remain the independent, freeform radio station that is such a rare find today. Grace Schulman and Jill Bieloski read their latest work recorded by Canio's Books this Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. on WPKN 89.5 FM and on WPKN.org. Hello, dear listener. We here at WPKN would love to have you stay safe through this pandemic, and one of the best things you can do is wear a mask. Here's Harry to tell you how. How to wear a mask. Wash your hands before putting on your mask. Put it over your nose and mouth and secure it under your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Take a deep breath. Ah, perfect. Bridge House is a community for adults with persistent mental illness who choose to take an active role in their recovery. Since 1986, Bridge House in Bridgeport has helped thousands of courageous men and women who have walked through its doors find hope and purpose in their lives. 
We are dedicated to supporting individuals in their recovery process through employment, education, and social experiences. Ridge House is a unique resource for anyone with a mental illness who wants help. Information about Bridge House and the services we provide can be found at bridgehousect.org or by calling 203-335-5339. Donated kidneys save lives. This is Carl J. Frano. I received a kidney donation in December of 2019. I had been on dialysis for seven years and on the transplant list for six years. Getting a new kidney was a miracle. Thank you to my kidney donor. There's 100,000 people waiting for a kidney transplant. About 120 will die today from kidney failure. You've got two. A healthy person needs only one. More information is at nkdo.org. 